If you would remain standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 9, we're going to continue our study in John's Gospel this morning. We'll read the whole chapter. It'll be a little more lengthy than some of our other readings. What I really want you to pay attention to is, is listen for this theme of sight and blindness. Sight and blindness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What, did you, what do you say about him since he, is, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, 
that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, blind, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this portion of John's gospel. Father, I pray by your spirit that we might see our own story here. That with this man born blind, that we would see our own blindness apart from you, Christ. May your spirit be at work, resonating the gospel in our hearts this morning, shaping us, molding us more and more into the image of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The ability to see hear, taste, touch, smell, which one would you give up? If, if this crazy scenario was put before you, like you had to give up one of your senses, which would it be? It was actually a survey. I'm, I tried to look at who did it. It's been used by some groups for different things. It was done a while back, but it says this, seven in 10, 70% say that they would want to keep their sense of sight. Like that's a, a high priority. Anything else other than my ability to see, it goes down drastically from there. Apparently it's not as important to be able to feel something as it is to, to be able to see it. There's something about the ability to see that, that means so much. In fact, this resonates throughout all of God's word. Beginning to end, the scriptures speak to this idea of sight and light. What's the first thing that God ever called good in scripture? Light. 
light, apart from which you can see nothing. Here we see that God saw the light and he said it was good from the very beginning. It's, it's, a, very, it's a vital reality. We see this over and over in the Old Testament. Moses begged to see God. Remember that? God condescended. He said, I'll let you look at my back. In our Old Testament lesson, what did David say above anything else that he could ask for? What did he say? One thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do what? To gaze to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and meditate in His temple. He wants to see. We long to see, and yet because of the fall, we we realize that we, we can't see. Faith is not rooted in sight, but in hearing and faith. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 10, as it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So for now, we're left with this. We have the word of God. We have his sacraments given to us. But for now, we don't see him. We only see him with eyes of faith. We see in Revelation, the culmination of all things. Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. One day our faith will be made sight. It's a theme. It's it's everywhere. Paul in 1 Corinthians. For we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. This This is what faith is like right now. It's like a dim mirror. One day it's going to be made sight. The text before us is precisely about this reality. It's about seeing in a spiritual sense. Our question is this. What happens when the light shines in the darkness? Who will see? And how? This whole book is about light breaking into the to the darkness, the eternal Son of God breaking into the world, taking on human flesh. What happens next? This chapter is about precisely that. We have to think back to to get the context of this to chapter 7 and 8, and that's something two, two and a half months ago. Jesus here is still in Jerusalem. We know that he was there celebrating the feast of booths, the festival of lights, because he said both of those point to me. And then the last thing we heard is that Jesus proclaimed to everyone listening that before Abraham was what? I am. And it so enraged his opponents that they wanted to kill him. It said they picked up stones to kill him. That's the backdrop of this text. And in some ways, I think chapter 9 is a commentary on that that very last part of chapter 8. 
It's like, what in, what in the world? Why do they want to kill him? Chapter 9 is going to explain. It's going to exegete the Pharisees in some ways. So we'll look at this passage on three fronts. One, the sign. Two, the investigations, plural. And then lastly, true sight and true blindness. First, the, the, the sign. Notice closely the first verse there. It's fascinating. This whole narrative, by the way, you could just spend a ton of time just reading and rereading John 9, and it's going to be more and more beautiful to you as you do it. It's incredible. So it opens with this, this fascinating line. As he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. Now, if anybody in this society would have been utterly invisible, it would have been the blind beggar. And this whole passage is about sight. And nobody else is, is seeing this guy. And the text opens with, Jesus saw him. He laid his eyes on this man. You see, the, this, this man would have had no resources. There was no ADA. Didn't exist. There weren't several nonprofits dedicated to teaching the blind Braille and how to function in life. Didn't exist. Even though this man has a family, even though he has parents, he has to beg to get food. No one would have seen this guy. And yet our text opens with Jesus saw him. Jesus saw the blind man. And then his, his followers, his disciples, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Was it his parents' fault, Jesus? Some fault in him, some sin in him. That part may sound really strange to us, but it's actually not strange to the Scriptures. Exodus 20, verse 5, and, and in many other places, by the way, we read that God visits the iniquity of the parents on the children, the grandchildren. Jesus knows well how this works because he knows the reality of the fall. Suffering came into the world because of our first parents, right? He knows this. There's a sense in which all of our suffering under sin in this fallen world is a result of our first parents. And in them, we all made the same decision. So you can't look at them and shake your finger. Sin came into the world and death by sin. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. We know that this is true. We live in this reality. Some sins will impact families for generations. However, we have to be very, very careful when we're looking at someone who's suffering any kind of ailment and say that this comes about because of sin. Only God can do that. God uses suffering to sanctify His people. Jesus, in fact, responds that this issue is not their sin. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. The issue here was not about what caused it, but about God's greater purpose for the blindness. 
we tend to pay attention to the cause, right? And Jesus is paying attention to what's, go what's going to happen as a result of it. Would God ever do this? Would God ever use suffering to, to shape us, to teach us or others in life a lesson? Have you ever experienced suffering in a way that would shape you and mold you and teach you? Of course God does this. This is vintage God to act like this. It's the way he, it's the way he is. Hebrews chapter 12 God disciplines the one he loves and chastises every single son he receives. Every single one. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, listen to this quote. I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. End quote. I think if we force ourselves enough to think about deep suffering enough that we would agree with what he's saying, Jesus says no. His blindness is not about his parents. It's not about his own complicit sin. It, it's about my purposes for him. Listen, I'm not saying that knowing God's good purposes make suffering easier. Do not hear me say that. I would never go to up to anyone, and you should never go up to anyone who's in deep pain, deep suffering, and say, you know what, God has a bigger plan for this. It's going to be fine. It's great. God is shaping you and molding you. Don't do that. Don't do that. If someone is in deep pain, you know what you can offer them? Tears. Or just you presence. And over time, you, you can certainly point them to the glory of God. First, Jesus explains why he was born blind, because God has greater purposes for this man. Now Jesus turns to the what is going to happen in 4 and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work as long as I am the world. I am in the world. I am the light of the world. At first this sounds strange, but it's actually the theme of the whole chapter. He is the light who is breaking into the world. And so this is going to address not only this man's physical blindness, but also his spiritual blindness. This chapter is all about sight, belief, and blindness, unbelief. The whole chapter gets up to who Jesus is, and it shows us how he makes the difference between the two. What is this works of God thing? We must work the works of him who sent me while it is, it is day. Do you remember John 6? He already had a talk about what are the works of God. What, what must we do, they asked Jesus, to be doing the works of God. How did he answer? This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. 
To work the works of God is to believe, to have faith in, to rest in Christ himself. That is, that, those are the works of God. This is the time for the work. Did you hear Jesus say when? Now. I think that's a great statement for all of us to remember. Now is the time for this work. Night is coming. The light of the world is going to be struck down on the cross. Night is coming. Now is the time. He didn't leave us in the dark. He rose in glorious triumph over death to give his light to his people, the church. He still, we, we still live in, in this now moment that Jesus speaks of. Now is the time for faith. Now is the time. Today. Jesus reminds us that he himself, Jesus, is the light of the world. And then he spits on the ground. That that should be shocking to all of us. Here he is, the light of the world. This grand statement, I am the light of the world, spit out of his mouth into the dirt. What in the world is he doing? It's like whiplash. He reminds us of this grand statement. It's huge. It's as big as it possibly gets. I am the light of the world. Spit to make mud. It's a wild statement. Then he takes this mud, this dirt that he spit in, he mixes it up, and he wipes it on the guy's eyes. It's really remarkable. It's a, it's a crazy scene. How, how can we begin to even think about something like this? How did God fashion man back in creation? He formed him from the dust of the ground. I can't help here but see the hands of the creator recreating this this blind man also using dust of the ground he he is the recreator he's saying this creation damaged destroyed by sin causing physical blindness and spiritual blindness i have come to do something about it and who who can do something about it other than the creator himself listen and this is the way church history has seen this text Jesus is recreating. He's come to lead a new exodus. Yes, one of John's themes is that he's also here to recreate, to make all things new. He sees the world fallen in sin and destruction. He has come to do something about it. Here is the sixth sign. Catch the subtlety. What day was man created on? That's right, the sixth day. You see all the, it's, it's really remarkable. Here's the sixth six sign. You are blind. You were born in utter darkness and what you need to have your sight restored, to have your blindness removed is you need a work of Christ himself. You need him. You see the difference between spiritual sight and spiritual blindness is, is on full display and the only difference is the work of Christ. 
with this spit, he rubs this mud on his eyes and says, go, go wash in the water, the pool of Siloam. Again and again and again, we're pointed to water in John. Water to wine in John 2. Water from Jesus, which will forever quench the thirst of the woman at the well and yours and mine, John 4. Healing of the lame man by the pool of Bethesda, John 5. Life-giving water flowing from the belly of those who believe, John 7. The water-pouring ceremony inviting the thirsty to come to him and drink, John 7. Again and again and again, he's saying, you need me, you need me, you need me. You need to wash in me, you need to drink of me. And now water is used again to heal the blind. Again and again, all these points come to one resounding reality that we need Christ. We need Him. As with all the signs, it catches people's attention. That's one of the things that these signs do. Whoa. That guy used to be blind. Now he looks like him, but that can't be him. No, it's him. And then he tells the story, and he's going to do it over and over again. And here we come to the interrogations. The neighbors are doubting. They take him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. This would have been their courts. We're not going to take him to Rome. We're going to take him to our guys. The last time we saw them, they had stones in their hands ready to kill Jesus. Here they sit in judgment. And they discover this little detail about this guy who's been healed. Oh no, we should sense trouble. What day was he healed on? The Sabbath. Okay. For us to catch what's going on, we have to think back to chapter 5 where something very similar happened. This man who was born blind has had his sight restored, and their heads are about to get knocked off because he did it on the Sabbath. Do you hear the insanity of that? Do you hear them denying his, his humanity? Rather... And give glory to God for this miracle. They hunt him down to interrogate him about what happened on the Sabbath. So they ask him again and he tells them the story again. He put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Even under questioning, his story never changes. He's a fascinating character. Notice a variety of conclusions that they come to. Verse 16, he's not from God, he's a Sabbath breaker. Like whoever did this, this Jesus character, he's a Sabbath breaker. How how can a man be a sinner who does such things? That's another really good question. He's doing incredible things. How? And the man at this point says he is a prophet. In verse 18, we see the problem. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. They didn't believe it. Making stuff up. So they drag in the parents, more interrogations. Here come the parents. The parents say, yep, that's our son. Yep, he was born blind, and we have no idea how. Ask him. 
They don't want to get in trouble. Even the parents are removing themselves from this guy, right? Yeah, that's him. Yes, he was born blind, and we have no idea what happened after that. We want no part of it. I'm going to pause here and just point out the absolute blindness of everyone on the scene here. No one is seeing rightly. That's what we're meant to see. Jesus is off the scene here. Center stage of the Pharisees and all this goings on and no one sees. Do you see how blind they are? No one is celebrating the great work of God and what he has done in this man. Utter blindness. The stark lack of concern or care, celebration of God's grace, is, it should smack us in the face. It's blindness. Jesus is off the scene and everyone is blind. Paul says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And you see the opposite of that here. Opposite. The Pharisees aren't done. The parents say he's of age. Ask him for a second time. They call this man to interrogation. This is where it gets great. This is, this is a lot of fun. It's time they change their tactic and doing so provide a delicious irony. They, they call him in, stand him in front of them, and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're telling him to glorify God for, from, for his going from blindness to having sight to give glory to God. It's a delicious irony. Because that's exactly what would be the case had Jesus been praised by them for this miracle. Glory given to God himself. You see what John is doing? He's showing us the, the irony of their blindness. Give glory to God and God himself and the person of Christ has done this miracle. Give glory to God. The irony John writes in is, is gorgeous. For the third time, the man answers very plainly whether he is a sinner. I do not know one thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. You've got to admire the courage in what he does next. The Pharisees ask, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I have told you plainly. I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? He's brave. And he keeps giving the same story over and over. And he, his focus is one thing. I don't know a bunch. I don't know a bunch. But what I do know is that I was blind and now I see. He's utterly fearless. What makes him so fearless? See, his whole life he was a blind beggar on the side of the street. What took him from a blind beggar to fearless in front of the Pharisees? The work of Christ. That's it. Jesus taking him from blindness to sight. That's it. He's utterly fearless. He was blind, but now he sees. He's being remade by the maker. 
The Pharisees are enraged further and claim Moses as their leader. And again, this man is utterly fearless. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. How? He puts them in. He has better theology than they do. It's utterly astounding. This blind man is starting to see. He, he, he challenges them. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And, and then what does he get for that speech? Okay, get out of here. Go. Scram. He gets kicked out. This leads to our last point. True sight and true blindness. And I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Jesus has been off the scene for 28 verses, darkness. We could have just preached several sermons, maybe three weeks on the nature of spiritual blindness, but you're missing the point if you leave all that out and then come here to the end. Spiritual blindness exists when Jesus is not on the scene. That's the way he's written this narrative. So finally, Jesus hears that the man has been released. And notice verse 35, Jesus heard they cast him out and having found him. Think of the the glorious truth of Jesus' interactions with this man. To everyone else, he's invisible and Jesus sees him. Having been interrogated again and again about what has happened, Jesus goes to find him. And this, too, is grace because he's never seen Jesus. He knows it was Jesus, but this man has never laid eyes on him. He has never seen him. You're like, how do you know? Because he sent him away. He sent him to the pool of Siloam. It never says they interact again until right here. And he's not the one seeking Jesus out. Jesus is seeking him out. This is setting us up beautifully for the Good Shepherd in John 10 that's coming soon, who, who himself, as the Good Shepherd, chases down wayward sheep. So, verse 37 or 36 Do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in this? King of kings, that's, that's huge. A cosmic king. A king who rolls over all the earth doing justice and mercy. The cosmic creator of all things, do you believe in him? What's the guy say? Who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. I would have loved to have seen the twinkle in Jesus' eye when he said that. Such great grace for a sinner. It's me. I'm the one. And then what does it say he does, right? Jesus is back on the scene. This should not surprise us at all. What, What does it say? He believed and he worships. 
This is what the light of Jesus does. It takes us from spiritually blind. It opens our eyes so that we can rightly see him and rightly see the world around us. Listen, you will never know the truth. The truth about yourself. Why this brokenness in me? Why this suffering? Why any of that? You will never know the truth apart from Christ himself. You have no grid apart from Christ to ever frame anything that you go through. Something great or something terrible. You have no true understanding unless your eyes are opened by him. We have to be remade by his grace in order to ever truly see. And then Jesus makes one more statement about sight and being blind. The Pharisees overhear this interaction and they get it. They don't miss the point. They get the point. They said, are we blind also? Jesus says, you would be, you would be better off. You would be better off. Because if you said you didn't know the true shape of the world then I would open your eyes so that you could see. But because you already know better, because of your notions of me, they already exist, you'll remain in the dark. So I guess the only application for us is, do we admit our blindness? Do we admit it? I was like him, blind. I thought I knew, I thought I saw the true shape of the world. I thought I knew my own life. I thought I could put my sufferings in some grid to understand. Is that us? Because apart from Christ, we're told again and again and again that's utter blindness. It's utter blindness. If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but because you say that you see, your guilt remains. Listen, everyone here, especially kids in schools or adults facing challenging situations, challenging relationships with others. The story of this blind man is very powerful for all of us because it's so simple. It's so simple. I was lost. I was blind. But now I see cause for hope. Knowing that Jesus is the only one standing between blindness and sight. He's the only one who can fix us. Listen, everybody here has a different testimony. Yours might not be wonderful. Like some some crazy story about how the Lord snatched you out of some drug den or something like that, which is good, and the Lord does that. It could be very ordinary, like mine, where I just heard the gospel at home every day. But no matter what your story is, your experience has been with Christ, ultimately there's a sense in which all of our testimonies are exactly the same. I think that's why the Christian hymn that we just sang earlier, Amazing Grace, that's why it sticks. It's very simple. 
As we sing it, we hear our own life. John Newton penned it in 1779, and the church continues to sing it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Is that your story? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving sight to the blind. Lord, we trust in so many other things in this world to see. And yet Jesus would say to that, if it's worldly things that give us sight, then we are truly blind. Would you shape our hearts? Father, would you mold us more and more to see, to believe, to rest, to trust in you, Christ, the Son of Man? Lord, this is not our work. We cannot do it. We need you to initiate this new creation in us and to bring to completion when one day we will see you face to face. Shape us by the good news, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.